0: Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. So one of the things we're gonna dive into this week is, is, is facing fear. We're in a series called Facing Fear. And um, we talked last week about learning to fear God. And sometimes that sounds a little bit crazy. And how in the heck can we do this? But when we understand the word in the Hebrew is yera, which means to fear and be in awe or reverence of a being that is so big and so powerful and for you that it causes you to draw near. Versus phobos, which is a Greek word that means uh, phobia or an attachment of fear that causes you to want to shrink back, be intimidated of, run from, or hide God has called us not to operate in phobia of him. And every time you read in the scripture when people had a phobia of God, they they ended up getting it wrong and getting off track. And so we wanna first understand how we fear God. And from that place, we need to learn how to face our phobias and conquer them. So today we're gonna talk about breaking the spirit of fear. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be good. And if you're ready, gird up your loins, my children. Romans eight fifteen says this: For you did not receive, you weren't given a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Why again? Why again? Why again? Because you started out that way, and when we give our life to Christ, He sets us free, and we are now liberated. And in all the book of Romans, and especially the chapter, this chapter that this is found in, in chapter eight, talks about that we are set free, no longer in prison To All of the great and glorious work that God has done has fully and completely liberated us and nothing can send us back there. Because we did receive this, a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Look, when we're afraid and the spirit of fear comes on us, how many of you guys, when you were kids, um, when you get scared of something, you obviously run from it, right? But when you are out of your home and you got injured or you were afraid, what do you do? You saw a moose out in your yard or a bear, what do you do? Run inside. You go, <laughs> run inside. Yeah, it depends on what kind of man you are, I suppose. When I saw a moose, or I was scared, I ran inside. Remember my brother? He wrecks his bike. He get all skinned up and his knees all messed up. He's like, "We're all little kids, you know." Um, don't tell him, but I'm the one that made him wreck. But he still doesn't know that. And he runs home for like, I mean, the longest way. But he is running as fast as he can to get home because at home he knew there was something good and someone there that would protect him and take care of him. And the spirit that God has given you and I is the spirit that's to protect you and I. And when we, we, we have this spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, I want to run home to you when I'm scared. That's the spirit of God living inside of you, not run from God, rather run to him, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity or intimidation, but of power, love, self-discipline. Other versions say a sound mind. A sound mind actually leads to right decisions or right living. Making good, healthy decisions comes from seeing God and understanding Him right and applying it to your life. John, 1 John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, seeing God wrong, okay? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That means we have not matured. This word perfect means to mature or become come into maturity in love. We don't understand or have experienced God's love to its fullest, and therefore we allow fear to then creep in. So conversely, if fear like drives into your life, my life, it constricts and squeezes out the love. It leaves no space and room for love. Fear and love are totally different starting places for decision-making or life-driven in the kingdom. It's amazing how many Uh, decisions or how many actions in our life can be driven from fear but we're trying to serve God so they look like religious activity or something that like we think should be in the kingdom but first Corinthians 13 says that all of those behaviors prophesying or serving people, giving all that you have to the poor, if we do all of those things without love and instead from fear, it's nothing. In fact, in so many ways, it creates damage when it's driven from fear. So God wants us to understand how to truly embrace and live in his love to break the spirit of fear off of our lives, off of our church, off of our families, but here's the reality, is that fear is the most powerful motivator on the planet. It drives hard. Whew. Hallelujah. The air turned on. We're not going to be cold. It drives hard. It pushes hard. Now, it is not the most powerful thing in the universe. It is not the most powerful entity, but it is the most powerful motivator, And if we don't understand fear and what it's doing in our life, it will drive us all over the place. In fact, to places and into things we never thought possible and would never thought we'd ever sign up for. Your internal world, my internal world, is probably the scariest place in in the universe to every human being, is to look inside. And I know that in my life, as I started off as a really young kid, I got really afraid. I got afraid of people leaving me. I got afraid of people rejecting me and leaving me and running from me. And so what happened in my life was that I actually got this belief that people really didn't love me. And it happened through different circumstances in my life. But I remember one specific time when I went over to some friend's house and I was just in elementary school, just a little guy. And I remember they were all over there and I found out they were there at the friend's house and I rode my bicycle up there. And I get there and they're all kind of in this one space and they're all like laughing and giggling and all this. And then they kind of like peek out and they know I'm there and I'm like wanting to come play or hang out. And then they all just go, hey, you probably should just go home. And something in my heart broke that day. I remember riding my little bike back that had no seat. Don't hit any bumps. That was also scary. But I remember riding my bike back home, and I was broken. And something shifted in my life that day, and I was so afraid of being rejected again that I started to dig in and learn more about the talents that I had, and as I matured as a young man, I started to use all those gifts and talents to just weave a magic show around me through all my charisma, and if you grew up in my high school, then you were part of my magic show. I not you were there. And I was just bringing everybody around and along because I wanted, I, I, did, I was so afraid that people didn't love me and that they would leave me that if I didn't do enough and make it amazing enough for them to be around me, then, then I wouldn't be okay. And I drove all of that behavior, so much energy, into just creating a world where no one, I was so afraid that no one would ever leave me. And then I get saved. And I experienced the greatest rejection of my life. And everyone and all my close family members that didn't realize it, but they pretty much hated Christians. And so when I got saved, my family turned against me. And I started to realize what real rejection felt like. And then all of a sudden, I really had to dig in. And in my ministry life, I had to just please everybody. And in church life, this is a scary place to be. Even with all the amazing things that God would be doing in my life and in our ministries and I would be trying to love people, but I got so locked up because I was so afraid that people were gonna leave me that it got to a place where I could no longer answer my own telephone. It would ring and I would experience anxiety. And that's when the bell started to go off in my mind. Houston we have a problem. I realized I have a serious problem. I am never going to make it in ministry if I can't even answer a telephone. What am I doing this for? And I began to ask the Holy Spirit why am I doing this? And you know when I went into that space I found out I was just a scared little boy. And maybe you're still just a scared little boy, a scared little girl on the inside too somewhere. And if you're brave enough to face it, and that's why this series is called Facing Fear. Because when you're running from fear, your back's turned to it. And you can't see it for what it really is. And just like if you grew up where I grew up, which is way out in rural Alaska, in Nikiski, Alaska, I grew up on this big, you know, 20 acres, and we had this big, long road that rent, you know, it was like a quarter mile road that went from the house all the way out to the road. No lights. Zero lights. And when you're out there, not in, you know, city kids are like, oh, go outside. It's fine at nighttime. No, out, not out in the woods. Out in the woods, it's dark, like really dark. And I remember my dad just like, hey, son, just buck up, be a man, go out there. You don't need no flashlight. I'm like, yeah, that's right, I'm a man, <laughs> I can do this, and I was just like a little kid, and I'd get up to, just to go to the school bus, how many of you guys ever did this, you're like going walking through the dark, and you're trucking along, and you're just like, okay, I got this, everything's good, and then like in your mind, you start imagining like, well, maybe there's something behind me that's about to get me, and you're like, tu, 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 tu. you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden that thing gets bigger and there's like witches flying in. Yeah! You're like, ah! And you're running just to the school bus. And your mind is all these imaginative like crazy things and then I turn around and I look back and it's like nothing there. When I stop and face it, nothing real. You and I have to learn how to stop Running and imagining the things that the enemy has planned for you, the things in your life, the worst things that could possibly happen to you. That could, they, we have to stop imagining that they could actually harm you because they cannot. It is a false reality. They say fear is false evidence appearing real, right? Good way to think about it. But the more you run, the more you imagine. The scarier you get, the harder you run. The scarier you get, the harder you run, until you can't run no more. And there are people that end up having panic attacks and fear-stricken moments when nothing is happening. This is very serious. And it can be crippling in our lives. And God is saying, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop turn and face your fear. And he says, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there with you. I am your good shepherd. We're going to make it through this. Some of you have experienced some of your greatest fears. I stopped running and I stopped pleasing everybody. And I said, Lord, I don't want to lead from fear because that's going to rain down death on our church. It's going to bring constriction. It's going to bring all kinds of bad, terrible decisions because then I do have to control everything and be in control of everything. And I, scared leaders aren't good leaders, folks. I said, Lord, I just got to lay this down. This is your church, and whatever you want to do, I've got to be okay with that. And I had to stop and face my fear. Church, each one of us has to stop running, turn, and face it. What's the, and I want you to think about what are you most scared of in here? in your deepest part of who you are. Let's stop and let's turn and let's face that. See, in the, we're going to dive in just to the life of David, Saul, and Goliath. And we find this in chapter uh, uh, Saul, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, is that this crazy event happens where God asks Saul, who is king, to wipe out this whole nation. And see, this nation was really, really, really bad. Not just kind of bad, like really bad. Not like nations we see today, right? I mean, we're talking like really brutal, horrible stuff these guys would do to people. And they did a lot of this stuff to the Israelites when they were traveling from Egypt. And God's like, I didn't forget that. And what you've continued to do and what you're doing and raping and pillaging and murdering and killing and sacrificing babies and burning people alive, these guys are bad. God goes, yeah, that, that's kind of in the way of my plans right now. And that's done. So I'm sending my army to come wipe you guys out. So he tells his king, I need you to wipe them all out. And no sheep, goats, don't keep anything. I want you to burn it all, get rid of it all. So Saul goes down and he does this, except he keeps and holds back the king of the Amalekites. And then he also keeps the best sheep, the best goats, and everything it says, everything that looked good and pleasing to him. But all the stuff that was kind of like not high quality, they just let all that stuff go. And then God goes, nah, okay, I'm done. And he sends the prophet Samuel to come and confront Saul. And Saul and Samuel get in this whole argument back and forth. And Saul's like, come on, man, I tried to do my best. And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. You don't care about what God cares about. And this is what it says in Samuel 15, Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid, and the people of the people, and did what they demanded. This word afraid is the same word, "yera." that is really only meant to fear God. Instead, he feared man in the way that he should have feared God. He shifted his allegiance and his worship and his fear, and he drew close to man and cared more about what they thought instead of what God thought. And God's like, no, 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 This kind of rebellion from my leader, from my king, not gonna work anymore. I need a kid, I need a king after my own heart. And he switches his plan. And he tells Samuel, Look, I'm done working with this man who worships man before me, who fears man before me. This is why the fear of God leads to all wisdom, guys. When we fear him, we draw him, he protects, he leads, he guides, he leads us into his best. And so this wild stuff starts to happen. uh, uh, Samuel, God shows him to anoint David. He anoints David. The Spirit of God falls on David. And then at the same moment, the Spirit of God leaves Saul. It's crazy. It all happens in Samuel 16. He lifts his anointing and moves it from one to the other. And now Saul has this spirit of fear that now comes on him and depression because he's without the Spirit of God. But if we look here in 1 Samuel 17:8, this is what happens is they find themselves in these ba- in this huge battle, Saul now, without the spirit of God, is going into battle, and he 's fighting against this great Philistine army, and the Philistine army has this huge champion called Goliath, and some of you maybe have heard this story, but this dude was a monster, and they go on to d- describe all of the ways that this dude was a gigantic beast of all beasts, champion of all champions, and he Stood out in front of the army for 40 days he did this. He says he stood out and he shouted and he taunted across to the Israelites, why are you all coming out to fight? I'm a Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Think about what he just said. He didn't say you guys are the children of God, the servants of Israel. He said none of those things. Choose, he said you're the servants of Saul, just a man. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. He didn't say send your God over here to fight me. So you know, it wasn't too long before this when the Israelites tromped into this exact same land and there were Philistines and giants in the land. Remember, Joshua? Joshua comes in this same land filled with giants, lots of Goliaths. And you know what happened? After they went around and they just walked around Jericho and it all fell down after they boop, boop some horns, Woohoo! boom, the thing falls down. Every single army in the land, every person began to tremble with fear because they knew God was fighting for his kids. And when that army started coming, they had a different reaction. But this giant, he knew there was no spirit of God present. And so he stood there strutting and taunting i am convinced this is where wwe started <laughs> i swear M- randy savage or macho man whoever and hulk Hogan, those guys got that idea from this dude it's all this big puff up and brr and explosions and they're like and it's a big show they're not real sorry to disappoint you. WWE is fake. Okay. No real power. Good athletes. Not real. You can't smash somebody on top of the head upside down and they survive. Okay. But Goliath stood there taunting and taunting. And then he throws out this challenge. He says, if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. And he knew man to man, he was going to make all the Israelites his slaves. The devil wants to make you a slave to fear all the time. It's his plan. And then he says, This, I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight me. Then Saul, verse 11, all of the Israelites heard this. They were terrified and deeply shaken. They had this Phobos kind of fear. They no longer feared God and trusted him. They feared Goliath, and he got all big and puffed up, and this is where it is in verse 16. For 40 days, morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of everybody and did his biggest, best WWE entrance for 40 days. Here's the thing. The devil is the master puppeteer, and he's the master manipulator of fear, and he will take fear and try to use it every way he can to manipulate you, and if you don't understand what's going on inside your heart and what you're most scared of, and then surrender that to the Lord and face it, then the enemy is going to be messing with you and jacking with you every single day. Listen, he wants to attach every kind of fear he can to you. We talked about this last week, but I just want to give it just a highlight reel of some of the ways he can attach fear. and These are real phobias, fear of heights, failure, peanut butter. Gravity, snow, clowns, insects, teenagers, knees. Long words, large things, dirt, and germs. The fear of the figure eight, snakes, kissing, children, school, bald people. Boo. Fire, ferns, feet, and love. And once he tackles you getting afraid of love, he'll now get you to be afraid of fear. Fear fear of fear, a phobia of phobias. He will attach anything. And just like Goliath who pulls out his giant spear and he pumps up his giant biceps and he flexes his muscles and rattles his shield and he towers over everyone, fear wants to tower over you and try to intimidate you to shrink back and run from the destiny God has in your life. And if you and I don't see and understand that the Spirit of God is resting on us, and and, and we allow that spirit to give us new eyes to see into what God is actually doing and has done for us, then we will shrink back like the army of Israel in front of a great giant. So David, remember David got anointed. And he was anointed by Samuel. And all of a sudden, David comes into this scene to deliver food to his brothers who were on the front lines of the army. And he's like, showing up. He's excited to see how the, how the, how the, you know, the Israelites, the children of God and God's army is kicking the Philistines' butts. And then he shows up and he's like, listen to this giant taunt and defile the armies of God. I see through the eyes of the Spirit of God, when David knew through the anointing of the Holy Spirit in his life and who he trusted and believed who God was, he saw that differently than everyone else in that entire, in both armies. The army of the enemy thought, I've got these guys. They don't even know who they are, and we're going to take out the children of God, and the devil's been trying to do that forever. He thought he won on the cross, and he lost big time. He thinks he's won with you, but guess what? When you wake up and understand what God's doing in your life, he's lost big time. Come on. You understand what God has done inside of you and the Holy Spirit, the living God, who built the world, who saved your soul, who defeated the enemy and swept a third of the angels out of the sky with the breath of his word, that God lives inside of you. When you understand that God's in you, you show up to the battle differently. Come on, right? So David strolls in and he's, he is like ticked, off. And he's so mad, he just can't stop. He can't say quiet about it. He's like, who is this Philistine? Who is that guy that defies the armies of God? He's like making this ruckus so much that Saul goes, bring that kid into my tent. I want to talk to him. So the king brings David into his tent, and David goes, hey, hey, hey. He just walks right in. He's like, listen. And this is in verse 17, Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. He says this. He goes, hey, don't worry about this Philistine. I got this. I'll go fight him. And Saul's like, wait a second. You're ridiculous. This dude's a giant. He's been fighting since his youth. He's going to squish you like a bug. You're just a boy. And then David pauses and he goes, No, Saul, you're ridiculous. <laughs> Because something happened when I was anointed by God. And some other things have been happening since then. And he leans in in verse 34 and he says this. He goes, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. And when a lion and a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And when the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I beat it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. And I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. He has defied the armies of God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. He goes, all right, I'm being ridiculous. I guess you can go ahead and the Lord be with you. He didn't really believe, right? But he allowed it because David persisted. In fact, Saul had carried the presence of the Lord before, and the presence of God had came on him, and I think he knew. Uh, God just came on this kid. And he stepped back and he goes, ooh, okay, (laughs) I missed that, and I'm not getting in the way of this. So Saul steps back, and David leans in because he sees through the eyes of the kingdom, and he understood What we understand now in 2 Timothy 1:7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity to shrink back and think that we're less than when we are in regards to fighting the giants, the enemy, the enemy of fear in our life, instead but of power, of love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. That is what God has given you. David understood it. He knew exactly what the Lord had put in his life and he had tested it. He had seen it. He grabbed those lions and bears and beat them down into submission. The Lord wants you to see in your life there's something greater than the spirit of fear out there living inside of you. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He's alive inside of you, not dead inside of you. He's not a forgotten, sleepy God. He is an active, powerful, alive, present Father who's got you. And when you get at him, when you move into submission and fear of him, he is protecting you. And see, David knew there's no way this Philistine, this worm, this tiny little acorn of a nothing could come close to beating the God of the universe. That was living inside of him. He's like, hey, he anointed me to be king, and you're trying to take my kingdom and make us slaves? That is not happening today. Saul gets all freaked out, and people will do this in your life, and they'll give you all this advice about what you should do, and how you should solve this, and fix this fear, and do that thing. And Saul does this to David in verse 38. Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, and he put it on him. He strapped the sword over it, and he took a couple steps to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these. David protested to Saul, I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. The Lord is not asking you to put on stuff of the world to fight the world. We don't fight with the same weapons. We don't fight in the same way. God is not asking you to do something in your own strength. Look what happens in verse 40. David goes down, he picks up five smooth stones from a stream and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with the shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. When we, when we fight, we fight with the Spirit of the Lord. I promise you, no kid can beat a giant with a spear and a shield with a stick and some rocks and a little sling bag. That's not possible. But the Spirit of God can crumble cities by just marching around them. See, David knew the truth. God had not given him a spirit of timidity to run, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. And his mind was disciplined on the truth, focused on reality, anchored his thoughts to the truth about who God was in him and through him. See, the first point here that with we, weapons we fight with is with power. We fight with the power of God. Revelation 12 then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, "Now we have co- now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down." Does that sound like Goliath to you? Same spirit, just peacocking up and just trying to like make accusations and WWE his way into getting you to shrink back. But the power and the authority of Christ has come in his kingdom, that's in you, that's in me. And verse 11, it says this. We, the church, overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. See, David didn't love his life so much that he was afraid of it, of losing it for God. He knew that his life was wrapped up in eternity. And so he went in with a sling and a stone. But he knew it wasn't about a sling and a stone. He went in with the power of the living God. Come on, we go in now with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, the power of God. And we do this in faith. Power is, is engaged and operated by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to engage and or please God. You must believe he is, and he is the one who diligent, or when you diligent seek him, he's the one that rewards you. We must believe in who he is. Hebrews 11.30 says, It was by faith that people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. In verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephath, Jephath, right? Jephath, everybody loves that guy. David, Samuel, and the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. I'm telling you, it's not by might nor by strength, now by power, but by the Spirit, says God. That's how you overcome, by His power, His Spirit. But you cannot overcome and destroy and break the spirit of fear in your life if you live like Saul. If you act like Saul, if you walk in rebellion or you operate in disobedience, you are going to sow into this life that just continues to bring up upheaval and pain and torment in your life. God wants you to submit your whole life into obedience to Him. He doesn't want burnt sacrifices and offerings, is what He told Saul. This is what Samuel told Saul when he had messed up. He said, He just wants your heart, He just wants your obedience so that he can give you his best. The best for Israel was not to be enslaved to Philistines. Come on. The best for you is to not be enslaved to your fear or to your sin. Romans 8 talks about you're not a prisoner in your sin either. You don't have to live to that nature because it's imprisoning you. There's no condemnation for you and I when we find ourselves in Christ Jesus. It's Romans 8.1. But we have to engage all of this by faith, knowing who God is, what he has overcome, and and driving that with courage, running to the battlefield with courage with him. And it's all driven from this, guys, love. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, remember? But perfect love drives out fear. Just think about this. Perfect love drives out fear. But what if contamination of fear is overwhelming your life? Where is there space for love? If you're not engaging love and faith in your life, fear is shrinking in and pressing in and choking out the love of your life. You and I get to choose. Are we gonna lead from fear or are we gonna lead from love? But if we don't have the courage to stop to turn and look inward to our life and face it and run at that giant, that big giant inside of our life that's banging his shield and holding his spear saying, if you come after me, I'm going to put you in slavery. You're going to die. I'm going to kill you, you little dog. What's that thing you're most scared of? The Lord wants to come in through love and he wants to drive that thing out. He is coming at it with love. Not punishment. It says here when we understand God wrong, because then we get this, we're afraid or phobos punishment in our life. We fear the punishment in our life because we don't see God right. He has not come to punish us, rather redeem us. That causes us to draw into him. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we get afraid of God in the wrong ways or afraid of things that God has already overcome, that God has supernaturally already been victorious over. That's also Romans 8, church. You guys should read Romans 8. Let's put Romans 8 in the devotional this week. You need to study Romans 8. It'll set you free. You understand you are super victorious in him. The battle is won. It's conquered. David understood this battle is over. He defied the enemies of God. He's on God's promised land. This thing is just a big show. All I have to do is go down there. God's going to deliver him into my hands. Because he knew where the power came from. He had the courage to love big. And when he when, he led, when you and I lead our lives from love, it has real power. 1 Corinthians 13 says that if you do anything without love, you're a clanging symbol. It means nothing, it has nothing, it has no value. But everything driven from love will never fail. It lasts forever. There are seeds that will triumph over everything. Love conquers all. This love relationship in, the, in this place of where we understand are the weapons we fight with. It starts in our prayer and worship life. Falling in love with Jesus, being baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with his presence and experiencing his love and giving your worship and adoration in song, giving your worship and adoration with your body, with your gifts, with all of who you are, your emotions, everything, that worship and that prayer running to him is what engages that love relationship. Then from there, you have the ability to disrupt and dismantle anything the enemy throws out in this world with the power of love. And a sound mind, 2 Corinthians ten 3. We're human. We don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. This isn't about fighting angels. Some people use this scripture to talk about they need to get spiritual swords and go chop them at angels and find them in places and they'll <laughs> chop them over your head. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about a battlefield in your mind, a sound mind that sees God's right, God right. Worships God right, knows God right, encounters God right, and has an experience with him. And when the enemy tries to lie to you, like the the Goliath is coming up and telling him, you're just a bunch of people that serve a guy. You got nothing, you got no power, look at me and how awesome I am, and you'll never get over this fear, you're never going to get through this thing. That's what the devil's telling you. And he wants to tell you that day after day after day to get you to shrink back and run into your tent. But when David shows up in you, when the Spirit of God shows up in you, you run onto the field and you go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Sound mine here. Let's keep this in perspective. You're a devil. And you've been defeated. And God has all the authority. Christ has already purchased it and he gave it to me. And as I see it, You're actually the one who's infringing on my territory. And in the name of Jesus, it's time for you to go. Come on, church. Sound mind. But it happens in your mind. It's the weapons that are fighting in reason. And if the enemy can get you all confused and distracted, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, and I really hope you show back up because we're going to talk about how do you dismantle worry in your life. And it's where it all starts in your mind. It starts to get, worry starts to settle in. And then we get all freaked out. And here's the thing I want to encourage you about is that the enemy wants you to heap on toxic shame right on top of your fear. Because now you hear a message like this and you're like, oh, Pastor says I'm not supposed to worry and I'm not supposed supposed to be in faith. And I know better, I know better, I know better. I should, I should, I should. Quit shooting yourself. It doesn't look good and it's not good for you. And the devil now compounds his lie, and he insulates fear with another thing called toxic shame. Now you've got to get through one more layer before you really discover the fear that's going on in your life, and you can have the enemy dismantle it. No more toxic shame in Jesus' name. Come on. Just let that go. You're okay. God gets it. Life is confusing and complicated. This world is hard. Suffering and hard things happen. And he says though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the hard things in this life, there I will be with you. My rod and my staff, they will comfort you. You're not getting out of it. I'm going to be with you. Heaven is where we get out of it. And we know what we're safe from and love is permanent. Because we're like, well, none of us are going back there. You could have a choice all day long. You won't choose to come back to this terrible place. And nobody's gone too early, folks, when they go to heaven. They get promoted soon, and we're like, praise God, let's all get promoted. Let's all get into the heavenly place where we're made for, right? Forever and ever, God's rescued love for us. There is no fear in perfect love but we have to operate in faith to operate and understand what he has fully done for us. Power, love, and a sound right mind. As we close, I want you to think about this. As David goes down to fight Goliath, says this in chapter 17, verse 41. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield, bearer ahead of him, and sneered in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roared that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I will give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David replied to the Philistine, you come with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heavenly armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Then I get to cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. Come on, nobody. He knew for a fact. There's no way I'm win with a little stick and some rocks. God is going to win this battle. Goliath, more timid than before move closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank in, sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone for he had no sword. Then David ran over and he pulled out Goliath's sword, the enemy's sword and he chopped off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, guess what the enemy did? The rest of the enemy's armies, after the big guy gets taken out, they all ran. The Lord wants you to look in to your life. There's a big giant in there. What are the giants that are in your land? Listen, the giants that are there, they're on God's property. Your heart belongs to him he paid for it. It belongs to him. It's his temple, actually. It's not just the land. He's like the land of Israel. You're his promised land. Did you know that? In you, is you're his promised land. You're where he wants his presence to dwell. He chose you to be his holy temple. And in you, he doesn't want a Philistine in there yelling and rattling his sword. He wants only his presence and only his love. Perfect love drives out all fear. Man, it's time to break the spirit of fear. First, you have to fear God. Fear him right. You're to God. Not man, not the devil. And don't allow phobos or unattached unatt- kind of fears to misassign to God and understand him wrong, but fear him and know him right. Then two, turn and face your fear. Because you didn't receive a spirit of fear, right? That makes you a slave, but a spirit of sonship that runs to God. Three, fight with the weapons that God has supplied you. Power, love, and a sound mind. And then when you do, pick up the head of your enemy. Just pick it up and show it to everybody and tell them how God set you free because you overcome him, Revelation 12, 10, by the blood of the lamb, the power of God, your faith and trust in him, and the word of your testimony. People need to see the heads of giants that you've slain, that you cut their heads off, that God conquered, let's say that right. Come on, it's not time to run anymore. It's time to lean in. Will you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in Jesus' name, today, I surrender and submit my life. I yield up my life to you, God. In fear and reverence to you, Lord, I lean in and submission to you because I love you. And in you, God, in your perfect love and power, you cast out, you deliver me from all fear. So today, God, I'm expecting that you crash in and flood my life and fill me right now with your love and your presence that I would encounter you you to the fullest, Lord, and you would drive out fear. And I'm putting the devil on notice. I'm coming in the power of the living God after you and your army that has tried to grip me with fear. Fear, you are broken in Jesus' name. You have no more power in my life and over me, and you are destroyed by the power of the living God. My temple will be filled with with only his love and his presence and my faith in you, Jesus. God, you're alive and you live in me and I surrender my life to you. God, I pray you would begin to dismantle and unravel all shame and all fear over me. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And fear. We're breaking you over this church. For those that don't have the faith right now to believe for themselves, God, we, we reach our faith to heaven and we say, fear, you must go. Break this spirit of fear off of every person in our church today. God, that we be free of fear and depression and full of love and life and courage. Let everything we do be led from love, God. We surrender our lives to you and believe you for the best. In Jesus name amen amen come on if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life there is a dynamic unbelievable opportunity for you to live your life not in fear and captivity but in love and the God of the universe sent his son fully God and fully man to die for you the Bible says a couple simple things Everybody has sinned or fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, separation from God. But whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be. All you have to do is trust in him. Believe in your heart that Jesus is God and confess with your mouth, he's Savior and Lord. You'll be saved. If there's anybody here today, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to him. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I give you my life. You are God, and I love you. Save me. Rescue me from my sin. Deliver me and fill me with your love and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. If you did that, the Lord has come into your life and changed everything, and you'll be saved and promise it'll be different from here on out. If you did, I want to encourage you. Tell somebody, tell one of our staff members, one of our volunteers, one of our prayer team members, whoever you came with, and help. let us help you grow in Jesus. Will you stand, church? I love you. You're beautiful. I want to pray a blessing over you before we go. But if you want prayer, please come down to the front. Do not leave without someone praying for you. If you have a friend that can pray for you, do it. But don't leave. If the spirit of fear is ravaging your life and you're just like, man, okay, we prayed, but I didn't get all the breakthrough I really need, come and pray and show up next week. Father, in Jesus' name, bless your church. Move in power over them in Jesus' mighty, loving, and awesome name. God bless your church. we we'll see you next it all. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at UniteChurchAK.org. We hope to see you soon.